Welcome to the Living a Life Unleashed podcast. Living a Life Unleashed podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Bishop. Hey, thanks for tuning in. If you are new to this podcast, welcome. I am so glad that you are hanging out with us because the goal of this podcast is to equip you to live a life that is unhindered and unleashed. And it's my hope that something you hear compels you to take action, to play full out and live fully into who you were created to be. And hey, when you're listening, please leave comments in iTunes or whatever app you're using, because the more you comment, the more people will have access to this podcast. Well, my guest on today's show is Steve Hoppy, and he's author of the book Sipping Saltwater, How to Find Lasting Satisfaction in a World of Thirst. And I think this is an important conversation because if we want to live a life unleashed, it's important that we gain insight into the areas of our lives that maybe keeping us stuck or trapped or in bondage. And we have to take an honest look at the things in our life that we're looking to for satisfaction that ultimately, if we're honest, they end up ruling us, maybe sucking the life out of us and putting us on an endless cycle of chasing the illusion of satisfaction and really leaving us coming up empty and not truly satisfied. Well, a little bit more about my guest. Steve is a Chicago native. He served in urban ministry for over a decade. And in addition to being an author, he is a pastor and counselor. He's received degrees from the University of Illinois, Corden Conwell Theological Seminary and Westminster Theological Seminary. And Steve is married to his best friend, Abby. And a fun fact about Steve is that he can make a small office look like a New York apartment. Right, Steve? Absolutely. That's my <laughs> that's my spiritual gift. I know this because he helped me transform my lowly little office with his design eye uh, into a, a fabulous uh, New York apartment, although it does need some touches still, yeah. and that's we're, totally we're still, on me. We're, we're working on that. Still. Yeah, we're still working on it. Steve's a colleague purpose. of mine. I love uh, working with him. His office is right <clears throat> next to me, and we uh, often have some good office banter, wouldn't you say? Yes, and you're also a very loud sneezer. <laughs> I can hear you through the, the wall. Yeah, <laughs> He sometimes knocks on the wall and says, God bless you. <laughs> well, thanks for uh, divulging that, Steve. Well, anyway, sure. welcome to the show. How are you doing? It's been a couple of weeks since your book launched. How How's the experience been so far? Uh, it's been actually absolutely fun. Um, I, you know, you think that when you write a book that you, you publish the book and it goes out and the process is over, but what you realize is that the process, well, the second iteration of the process is just beginning at that point. Um, so it's been incredibly fun, uh, opportunities to talk to people, to, um, to have great conversations, uh, ha have arisen. I have been able to, by God's grace, um, just to you know, appear on a television show, do radio interviews, uh, write articles, uh, speak at conferences, speak at churches. And, uh, and then also the, the, there's this podcast that I've been able to be able to be a part of it. The Lisa Bishop's, uh, podcast that we're doing today. This is the culmination of it all. So all right, I really, I'll take it. no, 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 no. Appreciate it. Um, at the same time, a little bit exhausting, but Still good, exhausting. Yeah. It's and fantastic. I, I think it's good because, you know, we, we were talking a little bit before we started uh, recording this podcast saying, you know what, this is not you writing your book. This podcast is not for like self-exaltation. Self right. It really is. Um, 
it really is to meant meant to make an impact for those who are listening to this podcast or those who are reading your book. And and so that's really I know your heart in writing the book is that and I love the way that you wrote it from such an authentic perspective and a vulnerable perspective and really um, allowing yourself to be vulnerable so that other people can benefit from the things that you've learned in life. And I'm, I'm curious what what even prompted you to write the book? Yeah, great question. The The heart behind the book was really about my uh, life growing up. So um, the heart of the book, the reason why I wanted to write this particular book was um, had a lot to do with my father. And um, for, for those of you who read the book, you'll realize uh, my father was an alcoholic. He was also a drug addict. Um, and he influenced my childhood tremendously. And so one of the things that has fascinated me um, it, throughout my life, but specifically as being a Christian, has been this notion of addiction hmm. and how we become addicted to things. And, and the more and more I, I studied addiction, and, and that's what this book originally set out to be, was a book about addiction. And the more I set out to study this book or study the concept of addiction, the more I realized that addiction is a symptom. Uh, addiction is not the end game. Addic addiction is a is a symptom of a deeper heart issue, uh, which is actually idolatry. Um, in many cases, then of course there's physiological and neurological um, impacts that 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 come into play. But um, and so the focus of my book shifted from simply just being about addiction to being more about idolatry. And so. Uh, and and the more that I uh, investigated and started writing, the more I realized that I was, in some ways, my father. Maybe alcohol or drugs weren't my go-to form of addiction, but that I was struggling with addictions of all different types. And so ultimately, the goal of writing this book was to show that we are all, to a degree or another, addicts. Uh, we are all addicted to certain things. Yeah. And I think maybe for some people listening there, that may be the first time that people have even thought about the fact that, mm -hmm. because I think when we normally think about, you know, addiction, we think to, you know, to drugs, to alcohol, but your book really exposes other things that, as you say, become idols. And I want you to talk a little bit more about what that means, because some of our listeners might, might not really know what it means to be an idol. Mm -hmm. um, but the fact is that we all like, anybody listening to this we we have things that are in our life that we're addicted to or we have idols in our life that are just keeping us from living fully into who god created us to be wouldn't you say absolutely absolutely yeah um there there's you know tim keller says that idolatry is actually the root of all of our problems all sin everything all of the all of the the um, heart issues that we have is really can be fundamentally drawn down to this notion of idolatry and so um yeah and that's just just feeds right into addiction which i'll, I'll talk a little bit more about later in the in the in the podcast so yeah and the uh, part of your the title of your book says how to find lasting satisfaction in a world of thirst. And so I actually went to the good old Webster's Dictionary to see what is the true definition of thirst. And I know we all to some degree know it's a common word. But the, the definition said a passionate desire, a craving and a longing. And so I don't, you know, when I'm thirsty, sometimes I don't think about, wow, like I'm really longing for something. I'm really craving something. So I'm, I'm guessing you use that word thirst very intentionally mm -hmm. when you wrote the book. 
So thirst is not only is it, I think, a very good metaphor for this sort of insatiable desire for more, um, but it's also a very biblical metaphor. It's mentioned throughout Scripture. Psalm 63 says, my soul thirsts for you, God. Um, John 4, the, the passage on which the, the book is based, talks all about thirst. Um, so thirst is a metaphor for our longing for whatever it might be, but biblically speaking, our longing for God. And so thirst is uh, something that we can relate to as human beings who need water. Um, but it's also something that I think really connects uh, with the Bible as well. That's good. That's good. Yeah. In your book, you explain several types of what you call salt water mm. that are things that we thirst for and things that make us thirst but don't ultimately satisfy. And this is a, a brief excerpt from your book. You say, we consume things that look and feel and sound like they can quench our thirst. They promised un they promise unmatched pleasure. They promote limitless comfort, joy, strength, peace, and excitement. They vow to remove our fears, tears, worries, guilt, and shame. They pledge to fill the voids in our hearts and soothe our aching souls. They promise paradise, but they can't deliver. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, and that key, that word paradise is really an important word in that in that um, excerpt that you that you read. Uh, it goes back to the Garden of Eden, really. The Garden of Eden, in all the way back in the the first couple of chapters of Genesis, we Adam and Eve were created in the Garden of Eden. They, of Eden. they were created in paradise. They had no problems. They had no ailments. They had an undivided relationship with God. Their hearts were passionate about Him. I assume. Um, and there was no brokenness in the garden. It was paradise. And then, uh, and then all of a sudden all of, you know, Genesis three comes along and, and the fall Adam and Eve eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and everything falls apart. Um, sin enters the world and, and Adam and Eve are banished from the garden. And so they are cast out of paradise. And so there is this paradise lost, which is a phrase that I use. I, it's not, it's not my phrase. It's a phrase that other people have used, but I used it throughout, use it throughout the book. And so, um, really what's, what's going on in the human condition today is that we've been created for paradise and yet we live in a world that's not paradise. Paradise has been lost. And so there's this tension. We are designed in such a way to experience paradise and that paradise is with God. And yet, if we just take a step out of our of our homes or apartments or wherever we are and look at the world or just look at the news, we realize the world is anything but paradise. And we actually just need to look within ourselves, our, our minds, our wills, our emotions, our, our, our um, relationships, our physical health and realize, no, we are broken just as much, right, as the world around us. Um, and so there's this tension in which we want paradise because we were created for it. And yet the world is anything but that paradise. So we're left with this thirst for paradise lost. Mm -hmm. And then we fill that with other different types of right. salt water. Right. So, so salt water, the essence of the metaphor is salt water is first off, it's a good thing. Salt water is, can be used for wonderful to, I mean, contact lens solution is essentially salt water. It's saline solution. It's got salt in it. Um, salt water in, 
in, uh, you know, can be used to cleanse wounds. It can be used to uh, improve your skin and the list goes on and on of benefits of saltwater. If not, nonetheless, it, uh, actually, you know, oceanfront views. <laughs> I, I mean, those love are, those oceanfront are those, views. Exactly. You, you <laughs> definitely do. Um, and so saltwater is a good thing, but the, here's the thing is we, it, it we, we're not supposed to drink it. It looks and feels and sounds like it might quench our thirst. And so we go to it and we try to, quote unquote, drink it, but it doesn't satisfy us. Why? Well, the, the, the metaphor holds that, uh, you know, salt water not only does it not quench your thirst, but it leaves you thirstier than you were before drinking it just in the same way as if you drank salt water it would actually dry out your insides and and leave you thirstier than you were before even drinking it with devastating consequences yeah uh, as and, a result yeah and some of the forms of salt water that you talk about in your book are money is a form of salt water sex control comfort busyness people food and works so you'll have to read the book you guys to to get all the goods on those things. And we're going to touch on a couple of them in a minute. But so again, those forms of salt water that I just mentioned in your book, you talk about something you call the salt water cycle. Can you explain that a little bit? Absolutely. Um, so this is, this is the pathway on how we become addicted to salt water. So this is where addiction comes back, comes into the book. And, and um, so the salt water uh, cycle consists of three steps in it and uh, repeats itself Endlessly, really. Uh, and the, those three steps are we listen to a lie, we drink, and we suffer. And then we go through the same cycle. So I'll break those each down into their components. So we listen to a lie. And that lie is that salt water can quench our thirst. It can give us paradise lost. And there's three liars uh, that are, are the, the ones who are propagating this lie. The first one would be the world in which we live. And the, the world out there, the media... The culture in which we live says this can quench your thirst, whether it might be a car or a new outfit or a, f a food item, a restaurant, a vacation, a, you know, cosmetic surgery, whatever it might be. These things are going to be the things that will finally satisfy, will finally quench that thirst. Um and that's their job. That's actually the nature of marketing and advertising is saying, this is the thing that will finally give you what you're longing for. Yes. Yeah, so right? That really sexy car. It's like, wow, if I had that car, man, my life would be so much better. Yeah. If I had that fill in the blank spouse, that spouse. Yeah. That would be so much better. <laughs> if I didn't have as many wrinkles or I had, you know, I looked better on the outside, my life would be so much better. So it's you guys, as you listen to this, just be thinking about what are some of the things that you maybe even unconsciously go to thinking that, wow, when I get this, this is actually going to do it for me. This is going to be the thing that just brings ultimate happiness and that the tricky thing is and i think everyone listening would agree to this is that we think it's that thing and then we get it and it's not because we're not satisfied and then we're looking for something else yeah you're actually jumping ahead oh boy okay <laughs> no, All no, right. no no um yeah yeah you're jumping ahead in the cycle but um but everything you're saying is exactly exactly true uh going back to the three liars the first is the world the second is ourselves our flesh right uh, we lie to ourselves. You just explained it very perfectly. Um, and, and so we dupe and deceive ourselves into believing that these things are going to satisfy us. Um, so we're just as guilty. And then there's a third liar out there, and that is 
the devil. And he whispers that lie uh, just as much into our ears. Just, you know, one more sip of whatever salt water and trust me, you will be satisfied. But no, it doesn't doesn't work that way. And so we drink. And that's the next step. What does it mean to drink? I'm talking about worship. That, and let me break down what that word means. It means placing um, your hope in something that that only God can actually give you. Placing your uh, placing your hope for for love or joy or peace or fulfillment or comfort or whatever these things are. Um, and, uh, and so you, you pour yourself into those things and you treat them as if they are God, which is another way of saying worship them, right? So you quote unquote drink, right? That's worshiping them. It's turning a gift from God into a God. Got it. Then you suffer just in the same way that if you drank salt water, trust me, there's a list of physiological symptoms that would happen if you drank salt water. I don't need to go into them because they're kind of disgusting, actually. Thank you for <laughs> but, sparing but, us no, the no, no, but, but at the very, at the very <laughs> least, it will leave you with a headache and a dried out, dried out um, insides. Um, but here's the thing. I don't know if all you out there have ever had a hangover. I have had a hangover before, never, but never, never. never. No, okay, kidding. yeah, yeah. Decades was, ago, thank I, God. But I was in a fraternity um, in college, and and uh, yeah, had a, one. No, actually, anyway. Okay, so <laughs> you um, have to read but, the book to, <laughs> to hear the truth, you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, but uh, but but so we suffer. This is that spiritual hangover that we experience. So, for example. Um, if we look to sex to give us that fulfillment that only God can give us, and so we pour ourselves into, you know, a sexual relationship or that, or we, you know, for the, for, well, no, both men and women, um, to pornography, what is the hangover or the, or the negative consequences? Well, guilt, shame, um, being as practical as possible, STDs. Right. And the list goes on of those those types of consequences. Well, uh, can I even yeah. add one to Please. that? Yeah. I think with, you know, pornography, especially is we the, the consequence is lack of real intimacy. Absolutely. Right. So yeah. it's like we drink this thing that we think in the moment it's going to satisfy and the consequence or the suffering is, wow, we've now continued to alienate ourselves more and more from the possibility of real intimacy because we've created false intimacy. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Or control, for example, if you pour yourself, you need control over your entire world, what's going to happen? First off, you're never going to have control over your world. And you're going to experience anxiety because once you lose that control that you're going to have anxiety or food, if you, if you pour yourself into thinking food is going to satisfy you, well, then you're left with, you know, the consequences of overeating or gluttony or whatever it might be. I don't. Um, so the point is that we, we suffer, but just as physical hangovers when we drink alcohol, for example, wear off and we somehow have this very short term memory, the same thing holds when we sip our salt water. And so we forget that, oh, wait, there were pretty bad consequences to that. And we are left thirstier than we were before. And so we convince ourselves, oh, wait, no, this time I will I will find satisfaction. Right. And that and so we re-enter re into it and then we become thirstier and we listen to lie, we we drink, we become thirstier, we suffer, and then the cycle goes on and on. So that's that's the saltwater cycle. Right. No, that totally makes sense. Let let's dive into some of the forms of salt water that I mentioned a handful of minutes ago. 
And I'm, I'm curious to know what thirst you would say hits most home with you. Um, and, and, and this question is interesting because all of them is, is really, is true. I, there's not a single form of salt water in this entire book that I have not sipped at some point or drinking or guzzled even. Um, but there are, I would say there are two with which I personally struggle the most. One is control. And the way that that manifests itself is, uh, I struggle a lot with anxiety. Uh, it's something I've struggled with since I've been a teenager, um, 15 years old. I remember having panic attacks and, and struggling with anxiety and, um, and anxiety, really what that is, is a manifestation of a person who really wants to control the, a world that is not able to be controlled. It's, you know, so, um, so I would say control is one of those that I struggle so much with living in this gray, ambiguous world. Uh, the second is, and this comes across with, with a very, uh, very vulnerable illustration I use in the, in the book, um, but human approval. Um, and, uh, and I want people to like me. I no, no, no. I'm sorry. I want people to love me. I want them to give me likes on my Facebook posts. I want them to leave good reviews for um, for this book. And please, actually, could you guys give good reviews? For, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, but uh, and the way I know that isn't necessarily that I'm walking around like like me, like me, like me, like me. It's when when I get negative criticism or when someone very explicitly says they don't like me, I crumble. Hmm. I fall apart. So I'm banking on that. So control and anxiety are those two major forms of salt water that I struggle with. Yeah. Thanks for being honest. And I, I have to say your, your book from the get go, I loved reading it. And then I came to chapter 13. That is a form of salt water. And I quite literally started weeping and that form of salt water is people. And I'm like, wow, I, unconsciously even and consciously care so much about what other people think that sometimes it even causes me to shrink back and not in a little bit of fear of not fully stepping out into some things because I think, well, what if I step out and they're like, she looks like an idiot. What is she thinking? Who does she think she is? And so it really struck me. And in that moment, I, I literally wept and I confessed and I was like, God, you know what, please, please break me from this addiction in some ways, this salt water of approval of man. And because when we are so afraid of what other people think, you know, God's word says, who is man that I should fear him, fear God and, and fearing God, meaning being in awe of God. It's not this like scary fear, but in, in essence to care more about what God thinks of us because our identity is in him. It's not in people, but that's something that I, you know what, after 20 years of be being a follower of Christ, I still struggle with and see where I'm anchored from some lies that I even believed growing up being an only child and feeling like rejected a lot. And so as an adult, I thought, well, I've kind of licked a lot of that until I'm ready to step out into something bigger than what I'm doing now. And I, again, hold back because I think, oh, you cannot fall on your face because you have got to perform for people to like you and you have to, you know, do things a certain way to get that approval and to to be affirmed and to be OK. And so whew, that really just kind of poked into a place that I need to invite more healing into and be more aware of. And that, and that also just the way you're describing this first off, thank you for being so vulnerable. Um, but it points to something I talk about in the book, this, this notion of this already, but not yet quenched. 
for those of us who who love Jesus and are followers of Jesus, we we Jesus says in John 14, like if you drink this living water, you will be quenched. And so we are quenched and yet we are so not quenched. Come on. Mm. Right. We live, you know, we, 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 we still struggle. And so it's this, it's this already, but not yet this progressive pathway that we take from, uh, from where we are right now. That's a constant process of becoming less and less and less and less dependent on that salt water and more and more drinking this living water. Yeah. Talk a little bit more about the living water. If that might be kind of a new concept for people. Yeah. What? So yeah. Talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. So living water is something that Jesus references. Uh, well, first off it's referenced all the way back in the book of Jeremiah chapter two, uh, uh verse 13, um, where, where, um, I'll paraphrase, but, uh, where, um, Jeremiah says, or the Lord actually says to Jeremiah, my people have forsaken, um, forsaken me and replaced living water with water and cisterns. Cisterns were little cavities dug into the ground with, with still, gross bug infested water and they were drinking that instead of the living water and living water was a phrase that was used for streams like flowing water so the, the metaphor goes back to jeremiah um but it also is used in john 4 with jesus and living water is um it is a little bit mysterious and we don't necessarily know strictly in john 4 what jesus is talking about he's saying Everyone who drinks this living water will, you know, will be satisfied and it will well up to eternal life. Well, okay, so what does that mean? We find out later in John 7 that Jesus is referring, is referring to the Holy Spirit. Um, and so living water, mean, to drink living water means to cultivate the Holy Spirit. Let me break that down, what I mean by cultivate the Holy Spirit. It's to to utilize the means God has given us to experience him, to fall more in love with him. And God doesn't expect us to just wake up and have these butterflies in our stomach and all this love for God and, and not do anything about it. He gives us a role in the process of cultivating that love for him. And so um, one of the things that I mention uh, in the book is this concept of water fountains, living water fountains so the thing the the not the fountain with a capital f of living water because that's jesus but these little fountains which are delivery mechanisms for the living water that jesus has given us yeah and what are what are some of those just to kind of give us an idea yeah yeah so um the these water fountains are i mean i'll just list off a, a couple right now uh or a few scripture um it's learning more about Jesus and, and learning more about God in, in, um, in his word where he reveals who he is and somehow the Holy Spirit transforms us as we read his word. Uh, fellowship, and that's a fancy word for spending time with other people, spending time with other Christians. So uh, fellowship is one prayer, having a conversation with God, hearing from him, and then speaking back to him in a very open, honest, transparent, no, you know, non-formulaic necessarily way. Uh, generosity. This sounds somewhat counterintuitive. As we give our money or our, or our time away, we experience more of Jesus. Why? Because that's who Jesus was. 
and we actually are emulating him and he's designed us in such a way that when we emulate him, we fall more in love with him. Uh, worship, and that doesn't have to be just on a Sunday at church. That can be ev- what I call in the book, everyday worship. So how do you worship God on Tuesday morning when you're brushing your teeth? How do you worship God at Thursday in the afternoon at three o'clock in your office? Um, so everyday worship, I like to call it uh Evangelism, fancy word for sharing your faith and sharing about Jesus with other people. Our hearts are transformed as we see God work in other people's lives, and we fall more in love with Christ through that. Uh, And then service and sacrifice is another water fountain. Um, Again, God has designed us in such a way that when we lay down our lives for other people, when we pour into others, we are the ones who are blessed. I don't, you know, a lot of people go on short-term missions trips. I've been on many myself. And almost universally, what you hear after is, I was blessed so much more than they were blessed, right? Um, And so these water fountains are just simply ways that God has given us to experience his love. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And that we, nothing apart from Jesus will satisfy. And I know that there's people um, listening to this podcast who are not yet followers of Jesus. And I'm so glad that you're listening in. And I hope that some of these things are piquing your curiosity to know a little bit more about who Jesus is. The fact that, you know, God says he's the living water that truly satisfies because that's true and, and apart from him and even being a follower we, we're constantly growing in the nature of not going to other things to look to have them satisfy us and always drawing ourselves back to God it's a it's a an ongoing an ongoing discipline an ongoing practice even for followers of Christ but I'm hoping that um, if you aren't yet a follower that again this is piquing your interest and you're you're at least kind of getting in tune to the fact or thinking about like what are those things that I go to and I think they're going to satisfy me but they don't and as Steve said earlier they just kind of end up making it worse a little bit and I end up suffering because I think that you know sex is casual and I'm just gonna do it and it's gonna feel good in the moment but if we're honest unless we're completely zoned out and asleep there's always this thing in a pit of our stomach or something that's like you know what that's actually not what I'm looking for but we have temporary amnesia and then we hit it up again right mm-hmm. or alcohol or whatever whatever the case may be um, and then as I said earlier for me people and wanting to be approved and then another uh, one in your book is the salt water of works and I mentioned a little bit earlier that I have a perfectionist tendency and sometimes I buy into the lie that I'm only going to receive love and acceptance if I perform well. And so I need to be consciously uh, and consistently aware of that salt water and lifting that up to God in prayer and being in his word and so forth and then talking to other people about it as well. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Uh, I think that this is not, this is a universal problem. It is. And this I think is a universal problem. And, and I am the worst of, I mean, first Timothy one, uh, says Christ Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am the worst. I'm the worst, you know? Um, and so, yeah, this is an absolute universal problem and don't let anyone tell you that they have it all together because, um, that's why I'm writing this book is to make it very clear. None of us do. So what do we in the, the, the couple of minutes that we have left? Yeah. So we've talked about this. We've opened up this concept of salt water in our lives, things we go to to satisfy and that they never do. Mm-hmm. What do we? OK, but now what? <laughs> 
So I've become aware of some of these. I'm buying Steve's book. What what do I what do I do to start to begin to I don't know, for lack of a better word, make progress so that these things have less and less of a, a hold on me. Yeah, I mean, I think the first the first thing that you want to get down pat is that you're not going to engage on this journey alone. Um, if you think that you're going to become, you know, you're going to lick this thing, you're going to lick these addictions, and you're going to become free all by reading my book, you're wrong. I'm just telling you right now. It, it's a hopefully a good catalyst to that process, but you're not going to become free. You need to become free uh, through through the body, I mean, what what Christ calls the body of Christ, which is the the the, um, the church, and so I, I think that the first thing you want to do is, and and you don't necessarily have to be a Christian. Try, you don't have to be a Christian to go to church. You don't need to be a Christian to get involved in a church. Um, but it is a tremendous place to engage in conversations with people who might have answers to questions that you might have. It's a great place to. Um, you have to pose those questions and hopefully it's a safe place to do so. Um, but we cannot do this alone. We need people walking alongside us. And so I think the first step that you probably want to take is going to be um, linking arms with other people or joining um, or at least going to a church where you can engage in those conversations. Secondly, I would say a really good step is to start reading the Bible. You know, and, and I know that might be incredibly intimidating. It's a long book. Yeah. And there's a lot of stuff in it that's really hard to understand. Um, and so let me just encourage you, perhaps just get started on reading the Gospel of John, which is, you know, the the source of the chapter that this book is focused on, John 4. Um, but I think that we're you know, God has given us the Bible to learn more about him. And it's amazing how it's not just information. It's actually transformational. Our hearts change through that process. So not so, so as to not overwhelm you, I'm just going to give you those I two, the good. church and the Bible. I think that's great. And you know what? It's reminding me of a conversation I had with a friend this morning. And I was talking a little bit about some a place that I feel like I'm stuck in right now because of this whole people thing and not wanting to fail and all that other jazz. And, and what she said back to me is, you know, it's so good that you're verbalizing this out loud. And oftentimes, you know, the first step is acknowledging where our salt water is and then finding someone that we, we trust to be able to speak it out loud because there's something about speaking something out loud that it starts to lose its grip on us, mm -hmm. but we have to find a, a person that we trust because it's, you know, one, once we kind of figure out what our, what our salt water is or the, the thing that we're addicted to that we want to provide satisfaction, we have to communicate or we have to bring a person or persons around us that we've, we've developed enough of a relationship with to know that they're going to hold that kind of sacred truth, um, in a, in a safe space. But that's that's a really, really good step. So, you know, my encouragement and again, thanks, Steve, so much for just the authenticity of this book, the vulnerability with which you write. I love the stories that you share in this book that just make it really tangible, uh, really accessible, really relatable. And you guys, I, I highly encourage you to to grab this book and you know what, maybe even read this book with a friend or a couple of friends, because then you're kind of going to be in this authentic space together where you get to share where each of you are finding satisfaction that really isn't lasting. And that, that can be a, like a good first start. Would you say? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, because, 
uh, I have a feeling that as other people, as the people with whom you're speaking are talking about their salt water, you're going to see yourself in them. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And sometimes we're blind to that. And we come with non judgment. Um, that's something we have to, to come, come into that space with as well. Steve, any final thoughts for our listeners that you want to leave before we wrap up? Yeah. I, uh, just two final thoughts. One, and I'm not sure if this was communicated clearly by me, um, but one thing is that salt water is not bad, not inherently bad. And so the goal here is not to look at your salt water, for example, uh, sex or I'll just use sex and demonize it and That's say, good. okay, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to sip salt water anymore. And so I'm, I'm going to abstain from sex. I mean, it's awful. It's evil. It's bad. No, it's not. It's something God gave us money. If money is something that I'm addicted to. Okay. So money is bad. Therefore I need to give it all away and live in poverty for the rest of my life. And that's, you know, no, um, these are good things. And, and the goal is not to see them as either God's as idols or garbage and demonize them, but rather see them as the gifts that God has given, uh, given them, uh, to us as the second thing is, I hope this is a book for those who disagree with our faith that, that disagree with, um, with the Christian faith and that you will still be challenged by it and, and hopefully, uh, intrigued by it. So, um, don't be hesitant to, if you do read it and if you are a Christian, um, don't be hesitant to give it away to somebody who's not, uh, because I, I just trust that God is going to use it that way. Yeah, I think it, I think it's really, really wise. Even if someone is not yet a follower of Jesus, they can read this book. And there's, as you said, so much in there that can add value. And I, I love that you mentioned um, in your first kind of parting thought, the idea of what you refer to in your book of God garbage gift. And you gave the listeners just a little bit, just enough to be intrigued by that. And guys to learn a little bit more about what Steve means by money, not being this evil thing and that we shouldn't like think that we have to give it all away to be a good person, go and, and see what he's talking about as it relates to our salt water, that the salt water doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. We just make it into a God thing. And he'll tell you a little bit more about kind of the, the way we make it a God, the way we make it garbage and how that salt water can actually be a gift. You'll have to read his book to find out about that. And you can find Steve's book, Sipping Salt Water on Amazon. It's a great stocking stuffer as that time of the year is rounding the corner. Well, thanks again, you guys, for being with us today. And I just encourage you to share this podcast and make sure you subscribe to the podcast as well. So fresh episodes are delivered to you weekly. Love you guys. And I cannot wait to have you tune.